You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. How are we all doing this morning? Good. What a wonderful, wonderful morning. Completely full of just watching and seeing what God is doing in and through this church. Not just one person, not just one ministry, but through everything. That God has his hands over everything that we're doing. And what's amazing is, as you watch these baptisms, what's, I just sit back and I reflect on the fact of realizing this, that a lot of people will say, God is just a crutch, or, or, or where is God in the midst of all this chaos that's going on in this world? We would agree, right, that there's a, a lot of mess going on. If you watch the news of any kind or watch whatever, you, you will realize that there's a lot of things going on. But what we realized this morning, as we watched people profess Christ, and to make it known to you guys who it is that they believe in and where their faith lies, is we realized something very, very quickly. God is not dead. I'm not just trying to quote a, a movie title, but honestly, like God is not dead. That God is moving in the midst of everything going on in all of these storms and, and of this whole mess that we look at here on earth, underneath the heavens, and realize that God is in control still. That God is still moving, and that He is still saving His people. And that's what's amazing. I reflect back on whenever I got baptized, and I thought it was probably the most awkward thing I was ever going to do in my life. Because it is kind of awkward if you think about it. But it's amazing. And I realized that as I started my walk with Christ, and I made that step and that decision to go and to get baptized is that act of obedience, I had some friends talking to me and realizing, and they're like, man, like, wow, you have, you have changed. Like, what's going on in your life? First, they thought it was my wife. Well, yeah, my girlfriend at the time, but it was, it was Jen. She's like, wow, you met a girl, and finally, someone's going to be able to, to control you a little bit and kind of settle you down. <laughs> that is somewhat true. Um, but then it turned into this, wow, like you found something. You found something to use as a crutch to walk through life, to turn you, from the front, to turn you on the straight and narrow, to get you off of this path that was leading to destruction. And it kind of caught me for a second. So I'm like, crutch? Like, what are you talking about? I don't have a crutch in my life. Because he was trying to talk to me and say, like, man, I really hope I can find that one thing or that one person that will kind of just take me along and show me how to have a better life. And it kind of caught me off guard because I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. It wasn't some girl. It wasn't a crutch. It wasn't some kind of religious belief system that changed me. What changed me was me recognizing that the Lord, he is God, 
the Lord, he is God. And that there was no other, there was nothing else that was going to save me or bring me up and put me on the straight and narrow. Just like there is, there is nothing else that's going to save us or put us on this narrow path or a crutch to walk around with that's going to make us better other than Jesus Christ and putting our faith and our belief in him and repenting of our sinful ways to follow him. Amen? is that it's realizing that, like, hold on, this is not a crutch. This is not just another thing that we can add to our arsenal of, well, now I'm better because I'm no longer doing this, 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 or this. And it took a long time for me to explain to him, it's God. And it's, and it's letting go and putting my faith in Jesus Christ that he has saved me. And so this morning, a simple truth a very simple truth, but yet a very powerful truth. So this morning, I want to walk us through 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 16 and work our way through to verse 40. Yes, I know we only have 25 minutes, as some of you guys will be watching the clock. But that's okay. Because God's Word's important, right? And so this morning, we're going to walk through this passage. And what I want to show is this. And what I want to bring us to this conclusion with and reflect on and bring us to worship this morning is on knowing the fact that the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. There is no other God, no other thing that is going to save us. And it's just recognizing, knowing that the Lord, He is God. And sitting back this morning, looking at his, at his word, being confronted by his word, that should bring us to a sense of worship and recognize the Lord, he is God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for such a wonderful, wonderful morning that we have here as we got to see students get baptized, people professing their Christ, professing you as their Lord and Savior, professing Christ to be their God. Father, I pray that you just that you open our hearts and open our minds this morning as we focus on, on your word. I pray you convict us, Lord, of the things that's in our lives that needs to be that needs to be handed over to you and dropped at the cross, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you again just for what you're doing in and through this church in all of the different ministries. Father, we love you and we recognize you as Lord and God. Amen. Starting in verse 16, it says this, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now, just to kind of bring you up to point, because obviously I'm jumping into the midst of uh, a passage here. Ahab is an evil king. He is an absolute evil king. We can see this in 1 uh, 1 Kings 16, verse 30. It says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. In verse 33, back in chapter 16, it says this, And Ahab made an Asherah, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He was an evil king. Ahab is the king of Israel during this time. 
And so Obadiah would have been somebody that would have been in his house, would have taken care of the house. He would have been a, a, like a, uh, an official, a royal official. Obadiah was a very faithful believer. And so Elijah, obviously, is a prophet of God. And what is happening here is that there is a big drought that has come upon Israel. These people, there's, there's no water. So Elijah predicts this, that there's a drought. And what Elijah wants to do is he wants to confront Ahab. The reason that there's a drought is because of the sin of Ahab and Jezebel. Do we all know who Jezebel is? Evil. <laughs> Evil. And what was happening was Ahab was worshiping these false gods. He was worshiping Baal. Because of his marriage with Jezebel, they brought this sin. Brought this sin at this point. And so here's, so what God does is he brings a drought among the people to confront Ahab, to bring us to this point. So here we are in verse, uh, in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab, okay, Elijah sent Obadiah to get Ahab so Elijah could talk to him. Um, just so we have a, a note here of reference as well, Jezebel was having all the prophets of God cut off. He's having them killed. And so Obadiah was the one who actually hid them into the caves, 50s by 50s, as you look back in previous chapters, so that way they could hide from this happening. So this is not just a, a going to be like, well, hey, I just want to talk to Ahab and have coffee at Starbucks or whatever other coffee place you like. But this was actually going to be, look, like, Ahab don't, like, he does not want me around. I could die. But here's Elijah asking to meet Ahab, and so here's what happens. He calls him the troubler of Israel. Why would he say that? He says that because of the drought. Like, look what you're, like, look what you're doing. You're bringing trouble around for all of us. And here's what he says. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. He rebuttals. It's not me. It's not me, it's you. The reason that there's a drought is because of your sin. It's because of this. Because, because uh, you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed Baal. So the reason there's a drought is because of you. So now therefore, here's Elijah, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all of the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So Elijah says, look, here's what I want to do. I want you to go get all of the prophets, the 450 prophets of, of Baal, and I want you to bring them here and all the people of Israel and I want to have this meeting. And, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually find out now, yet again, if you can track through the Old Testament, you realize Israel likes to do this a lot, just as we do, right? We're faithful, and then we're unfaithful, and then we're faithful, and we're unfaithful. Well, here we are. Israel is, being, is going to be confronted. Ahab is going to be confronted. These prophets are going to be confronted. And so he's saying, I want you to bring them all here. I want you to bring them all to the Mount Carmel. And so Elijah came near to all the people. So they all gathered together. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping? We're in verse 21. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God... 
follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So now here's Elijah not only confronting Ahab, he's, com- he's confronting the people of Israel. And what's he saying? How long are you going to go limping? Now some of your translations, if you have the New King James and some other translations, says wavering. And it brings about this idea of how long are you going to go and serve sin and serve Baal and try to say you're going to serve God? How long are you going to allow yourself to dabble in sin here and yet say you serve God? How long are you going to worship Baal and yet try to worship God? How long are you going to be tossed to and fro by whatever is brought before you? Here's what he's asking them. And here's the same thing. As we walk through this text, we're just going to point out a few things bringing us to this point of the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. But here's what we see. One of the first things is indecisiveness between following God or not following God. And some of us are there. I know there's times that I'm there. Whenever temptation or something or conflict brings itself up, Satan is tempting or brings this this sinful desire of whatever, this fleshly desire into my life, that there are times that I waver. I get tossed to and fro sometimes. Do you? That we allow for things to control who it is and what it is we believe in. Something comes up in your life. Who is it that you turn to? Where is it that you turn to? So here they are. He's confronting them. He's challenging them. This is what he's saying is, how long are you going to remain unfaithful? Because someone who is limping around, this idea of, of being lame, can't walk correct, correctly. How long are you going to continue to waver between what you say you believe and these false gods that you put in your life? How long are you going to allow for God to be here and sin to also be tagging along with you? Because here's what we realize. You can't serve what? Two masters. You can't serve God and serve somebody else. You can't serve God and serve Trump. You can't serve uh, God and serve your father. You can't, I mean, you serve your father because you... Because you serve God, you serve Trump because you serve God. We do those things because we serve God, right? We can't allow for other things and other people to sway us from what it is that we say we believe. Um, Hosea, uh, Hosea 12, uh, 10.2 says, You cannot have a divided heart. Having a divided heart between following God and following your sin. Because what is Repentance. To turning from your sin to what? Pursue God. And so he goes on. How long are you going to be limping between these two opinions? Because he's saying, if, you're going to, if it's the Lord is God, then follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So they're listening to Elijah. No one said anything. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah's by himself. Elijah's by himself. And he's going to confront these 450 prophets. It's going to be 450 of you, and then it's going to be me. The odds are against him, wouldn't you say? The odds are against him. But isn't that when God works the best? Is when we realize that we are weak, And the only way that we're strong is because of him. And so here it is. The odds are against 
and away, 450 of you, and then it'll be just me. And we're going to call on, as we're going to look next, is we're going to call on, on, you call on your God, and I'm going to call on my God. And we're going to see who answers. So he let the two bulls be given to us, and now here's what he says, here's what we're going to do. He lets the, it says, let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it, and I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And it's interesting, I just want to make a key, like a note here. You call on your God, and I'm going to call on the Lord. Elijah could have said, my God, but whose God also was it? It was their God, right? I'll call on the Lord, this, this, this personal um, name for the Lord, Jehovah, I'll call on him, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this, I don't want to say duel, but we're going to have this sacrifices, and we're going to prepare two sacrifices. But here's the thing. We're not going to put anything to it. There's going to be no fire. You don't put a fire to it. I'm not going to put a fire to it. And here's the thing. Whenever, whoever... Um, if, if your God answers by fire and takes that offering, then it's going to be your God. Then, then, then that's the God we should serve. But if God takes my offering, if the Lord takes my offering, then that's the one that we should be serving. Now recognize something. The Lord has revealed himself through and through, all the way up to this point. You would think that there would be a recognition of what's probably going to happen. So here we are. I also want to make a key note that in this setting, God could have shown himself any other way, right? In any way. But it's interesting that it's going to be through a sacrifice that God's going to show himself here. So let's walk through this. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped, and here's that word limped again, and they limped around the altar that they had made. This limped is a physical sense of limping around the altar. So they prepared this altar. But something also to recognize is that Elijah is directing them, and they're listening. It's almost like this, hey, I'm just going to let you show your fault and what's going on. Like, I want you to show, like, it's almost like how I would walk Lila to recognize, like, just letting you know, that's going to hurt. No, Daddy, it's not. Okay, all right. So you set this scenario up for her to realize, yep, you're right, Daddy, that really did hurt. I told you so. You don't really say that. But this is what Elijah is somewhat doing, right? He's, he's saying, you set up your altar. I want you to do this and do that. Okay, and so they do. And they call, and so what happens is they set this altar up, and then they yell out for, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. There was nothing. No one answered. And they limped around this altar. They limped around this altar. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. So there's nothing happening. So now Elijah mocks them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. I just want to point out, though, real quick, mockery 
is not necessarily like, that's not a good thing. So just because Elijah was mocking, like, well, cool, I can start mocking everybody for whatever it is they believe. No, because we all know what mockery can do, right? Mockery can very easily push people away. This is a very specific instance here where Elijah is saying, you guys are looking silly. How can you continue to limp around this altar? You know who God is. Or do they not? Because they're blinded, right? By sin. This is what people who are blinded by sin in their lives look like. We see it today. Making these decisions to, to do things that seem to us, as we say here as believers, like what, are, like, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? Why would you push for that? Why would you say you believe in that? This is the same thing that's happening. Is They probably did not recognize necessarily what was going on. And so in verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves. So they didn't stop. They continued to cry aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Now this just got a little bit crazier. They were limping around this altar. No one answered. Elijah's going to mock them. Like, what are you doing? Where's your God? Like, I don't see anything. Now recognize, Baal would have been like the the god of the rain and the storm. And so like there would have been this god that they were saying that they believed in could have easily, (laughs) if if he was really true, could have easily taken this offering. But now they're running around this altar and they're cutting themselves in blood, blood gushing. And this is like custom to them. Like their blood was going to do something. But as believers, we know whose blood actually does do something. It's Jesus Christ's blood that gives us that forgiveness. That when his blood is shed, we have life because of what he has done on that cross, right? And so they're going around doing this, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So they went all the way to this point, and there was nothing. At the time when the offering should have been accepted, there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. And eventually, people who were watching these prophets do this would have like almost, they showed no more interest in what was going on. They realized like, wow, where is, where is your God? How is that? And it's the same thing for us today is that we can watch people reach out and try to grasp onto all these different things that, that, that's going to try to save them. It's almost like they are looking for a crutch. Like, I need this. Like, I need to be able, I need more money because then I'll be able to do this. Or, or man, I need this person in my life. Or, or I just need a good this or a good that or, or a leader. No, like, we watch people do that. And eventually it comes to a point like, are any of those things saving you? Because even if you have all of these things, what's going to happen? You're still going to spend eternity in hell without Jesus Christ. And so here we are. So then Elijah said to all the people, so now there's no interest, but here's what Elijah does. He said to all the people, come near to me. Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Recognize he did not build a new altar. Just something to understand is that there was an altar that would have been here, apparently, 
and that it was thrown down because of the worship of what? If they were worshiping Baal, we know they weren't making sacrifices to the Lord God. They were making what? These sacrifices to Baal. But what Elijah does is he takes this, uh, this, this uh, altar, he rebuilds it. And it's something to recognize here. It's like this is almost going to be like a restoration of their faith. Like, look, I am still your God. I'm going to take the altar that you once served sacrifices on, and I'm going to rebuild that one. And I'm going to show you that I am still your God, that I forgive you. And we're going to see that of the accepting of the sacrifice, God's forgiveness of Israel's sin. Isn't that interesting? The fact of saying, like, like Elijah doesn't just take and just build some new altar, that he takes this and rebuilds it. It's, it, it's a symbol of showing them, like, I am still your God. I'm going to fulfill what it is that I have promised you from the beginning. It's still, like, I'm still here. And so what happens? He rebuilds. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. God's chosen people. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two siyas of seed. So now he's building this trench, and if many of you guys probably know this text, but he builds this trench around the altar that he rebuilds. And why is he, and why is he building this altar, and he, or this trench? And he put the wood in order, he cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said... Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. Again, Elijah hasn't even, like, he's saying, I want you to do this. I put a trench around it. I want you to pour water on it. Now, we all know watered down wood does not burn. (laughs) Right? Like, that's, that's true. We know that. And so here again, what is Elijah doing? He's showing, look, I have nothing to do with this. I want to actually even stack up more odds against me in a, in a way. Like, you know what? I, like, I'm in the lowest of lows. Some, some of us can relate to this and saying, I'm in the lowest of lows, but that's when God is going to show himself. It's going to be when this water is, is poured all over the altar. It's whenever you're going to not just pour one jar, but two jars and three jars. And you're going to, I'm going to soak it down. So there, it is physically impossible for anything to happen outside of what? The power of God. That it wasn't going to be Elijah who did anything other than do what it is that God has called him to do. And we're going to see that God fulfills what he calls you to. So when some of us are, are wavering in, man, like, I feel like God may be calling me to this. I want you to recognize God fulfills, as we can see here, what it is that he calls you to. And, he, and this is exactly what he's doing through Elijah. Is he's going to fulfill what he's called Elijah to go and do. And he said, do a second time. We're in verse 36. Wait, in verse 35. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So all this water. And at the end of the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, and this is where it gets very, very interesting. Oh, Lord. So now it's getting ready to accept this offering. It's everything set up. Here it is, all odds against me. But here's what he says. He prays out loud and says, Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. 
The God of your fathers, your God, that's who I'm praying to, is what he's saying. That God, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Do not let me be, seen, be shown as the one that has done anything. Let it be known that I'm just a servant doing exactly what it is that you have called me to. And it's interesting that when you think of Next Gen and you think of Camp Imagine If and, and, all, and the jail ministry and all these things, it's the exact same thing that we need to take. I'm just a servant. I'm just a servant. I'm doing what it is that God has called me to do. That's it. It's you. And he prays specifically, let, your, let you be shown. Let it be your thing that you have done. Do not let them look at me. When we are weak, we are strong. In our weakness is when we're the strongest. When we're going to rely on ourselves or rely on anything else other than God, it just shows, again, like it's not going to be as strong as it could be. And so here we are. Answer me. He cries out, answer me, O Lord. Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. Do this, not to just show off anything. Do this so that they know that you are Lord. Remind them who their God truly is. It's the same thing that we need, is it not? Sometimes we need to be reminded who it is that we truly serve that it's not ourselves. We need to be confronted just as Ahab was confronted, as Israel was confronted. We need people in our lives to confront us. And one of the things that we recognize with baptism is the fact that we say, look, as you are going to make this profession of faith to the church, to the congregation, it is also so that you are going to be held accountable. Not because we want you to do what it is that we want you to do, but because you're making this profession of faith and we want to hold you accountable to what you say you believe. That's what baptism is, right? And so that's what happens is that the church, which is why the church is so important, is that we can hold each other accountable, that when you see someone straying, you can call them back to God, the Lord, because he is God. And so here we are again. He calls out, and here's what he says, in that you, we're at the last thing of verse, uh, verse 37, in that you have turned their hearts back. Did Elijah turn their hearts back? You just watch, I mean, you just seen this whole thing played out. Elijah did absolutely nothing with it other than, than just set up the, the opportunity for God to be shown. Just like ministries we have in this church. We, set, we have opportunities for what? Not that any of us may look awesome, but so that God can be shown. And who is it that turns the hearts back? God turns the hearts back. And that's the thing that we have to recognize. That we don't do anything. I didn't save anybody. Joel didn't save his family. No one saved anybody God saved him. God has drawn these people to himself, has revealed himself to them to show him that he is God. And they have then made the decision to accept that. Because I'm telling you, sitting in my office and, and hearing, Tanner, I don't mean to make you, if you're, if you're here, but hearing, I want nothing to do with God. I know that Jesus is the answer, absolutely, like I've heard that growing up, but I want nothing to do with God. To then sitting down with him going, <laughs> the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. 
There is no, I mean, there is no words you can tell anybody other than these words that's going to change the hearts of anybody. In these schools, it is nothing. We can set up the best snacks in the world. Um, I can tutor, which is awesome because I'm great at math. Um, I'm kidding. Lindsay, you can laugh at me. But, but here's the thing. We can set all these things up. But, it does, but all we're doing is being faithful servants of what God is going to do in and amongst these students in these schools. And it's not going to be the schools where it ends. It's going to be being able to baptize them one day. That they know that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And so here we are. In verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. It was a matter of boom. It wasn't like a trickle where it's like trying to rub these sticks together, trying to get this fire to start and like, yes, got it. No, it was like boom. It consumed it. And not just the offering, the whole thing. God's saying, look, I'm gonna, the whole thing. So here, here is Israel, here are the prophets, and they're watching this, and they're seeing it yet again, by the way, yet again God show himself and reveal himself. And he says, and it is done. <laughs> Consume the burnt offering. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Because what they have seen, but recognize this, they have seen this through and through, again and again, time after time. Time after time. But they recognize now, again, the Lord, He is God. He has brought His people back to Him. And what this shows is a restoration of the sinful, a forgiveness of his children. That even though we are going to sin, even though we're going to fall sometimes off to the side and be unfaithful, God forgives you. God forgives you. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. They fall on their faces. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Israel. And so now what does Elijah do? He takes the prophets, the false prophets, and he slaughters them. The world people have this wrong theology or this wrong desire to say, well, everyone's going to go to heaven. Everyone's going to spend time with God. Everyone is going to be there. And that's not true. That only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be there. But then why does he slaughter them? Is he even a judge? Like, what? Like, but there's the opportunity that they might know God. Like, no, they have seen through and through, and they have, they have already shown where their hearts are at. And what he shows through this is that God is the just God, and he is going to deal with sin. And that's what we need to recognize this morning, is that God will deal with sin. 
If your faith is not in Jesus Christ, if, if your faith is not there at all, if you do not believe in God, your sin will be dealt with. And we will and ultimately spend eternity in hell, the ultimate slaughtering. God has taken that wrath that we deserve, that we deserve that slaughtering. (laughs) Would you agree? As sinful people, you know what you think about, you know what you do throughout all of the weeks and throughout every day and and even in and always are being brought back to repentance. We know those things. That man is sinful and we deserve this slaughtering. But guess what? Jesus Christ took on that wrath so that we can have life. It isn't going to be our blood poured around some false altar. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that then was poured out so that we can profess him as Lord and God. And this is what we have to recognize through all, through, throughout this whole thing. The main point, know the Lord, he is God. That wherever you're at this morning, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. Let's end in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 56. Or not verse 56, I lied. 5 through 6. <laughs> Adding verses. <clears throat> and it says this. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us... For those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. There is one God. God is not a crutch. God is not something we just tag along into our lives and add as as something we do because we want to go to church. No, we don't just partake in the spiritual activities. We are in the spiritual activities because we are in Christ. There is one God, one Father, and that is the Lord. He is God. The Lord, He is God. So wherever you are at this morning, if you're dealing with anything with family or something that you're dealing with personal, whatever it may be, just know that God is sovereign and He is the Lord. He is God. The Lord, He is God.